On this week's episode, we have Tyson joining us in the box. Tyson gives us some great insights into his upbringing uh, and how his parents ran the household, which has led to, to him, his siblings, uh, having a really great relationship with each other and with, with his parents, a really strong family bond. Tyson, uh, now wife, was diagnosed with endometriosis, so he talks about navigating that uh, and how it brought forward their plans to start a family. Tyson shows a lot of vulnerability when he shares a story about his wife being pregnant with twins and, and them losing one of those twins and how that's changed his outlook uh, and what they do now to celebrate that twin that they lost, as well as some really great coaching tools that, that Tyson uses when working with young people as he does in his, through his business. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to Dad Focals, the show where we look at life through the lens of a dad. We're no experts and we're not here to offer advice. We're here to exchange stories on the triumphs and tribulations of dadding. I'm Sam, dad to three boys, Sonny, Van and Otis. And I'm Tom, dad to three girls, Bella, Etty and Maeve. Settle in for a listen, with or without your Dad Focals on, and enjoy. Remember, if you have any questions, suggestions or want to discuss any triggers, you can reach us at Dad Focals on the socials and dadfocals at gmail.com on the email. The links are in the show notes. Let the games begin. We're rolling. Welcome, boys. <laughs> Episode 12, Tyson Day in the studio. Tyson is a fellow co-worker at Coco in Mornington. Um, absolute legend. He comes in with a big beaming smile every day, um, regardless man. of how much sleep he's had or, or, or <laughs> not had. But... Um, Tyson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. Thanks for having me, boys. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's um, an absolute pleasure. Yeah, awesome. How was your How was your weekend, first of all, guys? What uh, What were the highlights? What were the trials? What were the tribulations? What were the triumphs? Well, after you, Sammy. Uh, okay, so this weekend, um, Saturday morning actually kicked off with some Navy SEAL training with 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 Tom came along, oh, which cool. was yeah, which is pretty cool. Local guy. Yep. Um, obviously American. Yep. Just trying to. Um, Yes, as a bit of a side hustle, and yeah, cool. um, so we're Tom and I in a, in a group of, of uh, a dad society, as we call it, um, <laughs> and ten of us went along and got our, our asses kicked on, yep. on McRae Beach. Um, but that was a good, really good way to start the day, I thought. Yeah. And it then, was, it was a great start. Yeah, yeah. And then grab a coffee and something to eat after. Yeah, yeah. I think we might try and get him on. He's he's got two boys himself, and and spoke a bit about the transition from being in the military to, to being a dad. And, and um, I think that's quite fascinating. I think Sammy and I started to try and get the dad focals on on the beach at 7 a.m. <laughs> two hours training. And, didn't, and, have, <laughs> didn't have the mics with us, though, so we just, cut it yeah, short. It's a bit burpy, just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, mate, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Don't waste the content. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a good start to the weekend. Um, yeah, it was... Got, it, got into the garden, and I think I mentioned to you the first thing this morning, Ty, it's uh, always that trade-off. The garden looks great now, but the house was absolutely <laughs> trashed, and the kids had a, a pretty lazy dinner as well, thanks to uh, thanks to me and, and me prioritising the yeah. um, the gardening. But, um, yeah, and then this morning, a bit of a strange one. My daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, for the first time, didn't want to go to school. No idea yeah, why. Right. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. Um, but, yeah, after a, a pretty rosy morning, um, she just didn't want to go. And there was floods of tears, and... It was it was tricky, and again that trade off that Sammy we've talked about a lot, you know, ripping off the band aid mm. versus empathy and and what that balance is, and you know, absolutely you have to go to school in in my mind, um, but 
Yeah, just the, the trade-off. Real tricky one. So stay tuned. We'll get to the bottom of that one. Mm. I'm sure uh, most... Have you got have your kids primary school age? No, nah, so I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter yep. and an eight-week-year-old daughter. Yeah, yeah, mm. wow. So Well, perfect segue. So I, I guess I'll just kick it off to say um, the previous guests that we've had on, Dad Focal so far, either Tom or myself have known really, really well. Yep. Um, and Tyson, yeah, we say good day in the, the hallway here at Coco's, but outside of knowing mm. you've got two girls, um, that's about it. Yeah, that's cool. about it. So I'm, I'm really excited to have a conversation where it is completely... Uh, completely new um and i'm sure it's going to be completely authentic as well so over to you tice let's tell us t start wherever you want to start mate your your childhood or yeah. what it's been like the last eight weeks wherever you want to start yeah thanks man yeah. um i think um yeah i'll start with my childhood because i think that's um a good kind of insight because um i had a really good relationship with my dad um and i was thinking about like when you guys asked me to come on and, and talk about my own story i was like I have to highlight that particular piece, just how much of an enjoyable childhood I, I did have. Mm -hmm. um, and my folks um, always really prioritised both my brother and my sister. So I'm the oldest, um, family of five, grew up in, you know, eastern suburbs of, um, in Doncaster there mm -hmm. and great childhood, you know, full of sport, full of family and friends and things like that. And um, my old man um, was always prioritised I suppose time with us um and he ran his own business and you know he was a personal trainer and um then he became like more of a coach and leadership and communication and stuff like that but to his credit he always he worked really hard and but he always prioritized the things like i'd i'd struggle to actually think of moments that he missed so he was he was around a mm. lot and um yeah always overflowing with love and, and, and care and, yeah. and and i think we tom and i talk a lot about the you know the new age dad and mm. you know that and sometimes use the term sort of super dads because we want to do everything that the typical boomer did which yeah. was provide and work yep. hard but then also be really hands-on with the kids and but it sounds like your old man was maybe ahead of the curve in that front yeah i think like if you look at our family structure, like my my mum was, um, I suppose, for lack of a better term, like the traditional kind of stay-at-home parent. Yep. Um, and she would, you know, again, get all of us to school commitments, cook, clean, like pretty much run the house. Um, and she was, she's incredible. Like mm. I think back now on, and, you know, I'm stumbling through parenting myself with my <laughs> wife and... You know, I look back at her and just go far out, like mm. three kids under the age of five, like that's, you know, and my, because and my old man was working um, quite hard and being the sole breadwinner, um, but still prioritising those family things. Um, and I think that's the beauty of working for yourself sometimes. Well, that's what I learned from witnessing him. Um, you know, you can prioritise your time mm. and where you commit to and and he just had that huge prioritization of of us as kids mm, and if yeah. that was teaching us how to kick a footy if that was you know blocking out time over jan to go away on and um on summer holidays yeah yeah, yeah. he always prioritized it so, super yeah. parents sounds like super parents yeah and you say Pretty you're lucky. stumbling through parent, parenting but i'm sure they felt the same you know it's the it's the duck on water isn't it you know uh, seamlessly floating mm. on the top and the legs are hammering it underneath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds like you, you had a really great upbringing. Mm, yeah, I was really fortunate, boys. Like, I I work a lot with young people in my own business and, you know, you hear some really 
challenging stories and and I, it just makes me extremely grateful for for my own experience mm-hmm. of of having you know living in a safe loving mm-hmm. home unit yeah. um you know having you know sport and community activities and yeah. you know schooling that was um yeah really really supportive and and you know as a young person i, I went through my challenges like every young person does and mm-hmm. i just at every time i felt you know wrapped in love like yeah. i didn't feel like i was ever um yeah an outcast of the family or anything like that and i think yeah i, I just i couldn't fault it to be honest so how do you think your and it's beautiful to hear you um, reflect back so fondly of your upbringing that's mm. awesome how did your family specifically your dad deal with internal conflict um great question he was very so um my brother and sister and i and, and probably my mum too like it would be very um like it would be very common for us to like sit down and have like a family meeting almost yeah. like he'd be like all right what's going on um and my mum as well like they would like sometimes play good cop bad cop <laughs> essentially um and go you know this is the values of this family and because um my old because uh, he works in like the the I suppose personal development, professional development, communication, leadership space. Like he kind of brought those things into our own family unit, mm-hmm. and in some cases, as a young person, that's that's annoying. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. in some cases now, as an adult, you kind of go, "All right, that was actually really beneficial and worthwhile." Mm. Um, and we'd always deal with conflict within the family head on. Mm. Um, awesome. So. They were very, my mum and dad were very big on being like, if you've got a challenge or if you've got an issue, like, let's talk it out. Mm. Let's put it out on the table. Um, And if that was either between me and my parents or between me and my brother and my sister and my parents, we were very supportive of, yeah, of everyone. Obviously, it wasn't peaches and rainbows all the time. Mm, Um, I don't think anything is. Um, But... Yeah, at any at every point, whether we made mistakes or we, you know, um, my parents were also big on tough love too. So like, you know, in, um, always ensuring that we took responsibility for our actions, mm-hmm. um, safe spaces to make mistakes and learn. Um, so yeah, they were they were always very supportive, especially when you were going through a tough time. Yeah, like, you know, let's let's figure this out yeah. together. But it's still your decision, so you like own your own decision as well. So just to unpack that a little mm. bit further, you're around the, the table. Was, is it kind of proactive or reactive? Was it is it let's go around the table and everybody tell us something good and something challenging, or was it hey you know Tyson's dealing with something, yeah. bring it to the table? How and the, I'm interested in the good cop bad cop and unpacking yeah. that a bit more as well. Yeah, so they. It depends on what it was. Like, so my, they would have this classic question of, you know, what was the best thing about your day? What was the worst yeah. thing about your day? What did you learn? And as a young person, you're like, oh, not again. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to regurgitate answers from the last couple of days. Um, and like, you know, my mum is a very empathetic person. Um, she is, and I think she really brought a soft touch to that that space my old man would be the first person to say that he needs to practice more empathy <laughs> but um yeah it was like quite often it was depending on what the issue or the challenge was um they would kind of pick their angle and and quite diplomatic too and my old man because he was you know a coach or still is a coach he'd ask these questions and you'd just be like uh, I got I got no good answer to come back from this, so he's kind of bundling me up like mm. that. Um, so yeah, like and and early on they 
give us pocket money, but you had to do like chores to be able to get your pocket money. And we had yeah. this um, this cross system too. So if you didn't do your chores, it would be like there's a cross and there, therefore your pocket money would go down. And, yeah. you know, some people might say, oh, that's pretty, pretty crazy. But mm. I think for me, it, it just taught me like, you know, the importance of hard work mm. and, you know, nothing in life is free and mm, you need yeah. to, um, yeah, pull your socks up when you need to. So there's a daily occurrence around the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. And, and that was the other cool thing too. Like we often would have dinner around the table, you know, five, six times a week. Yeah. Like TV off. Um, and back then there wasn't that big thing of like phones and social media and all that type of stuff. But, yeah. you know, everyone would stop, come to dinner. Um, and yeah, even mm. if that was like six o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. Yeah. yeah, a lot of fond memories around the table. Yeah. And interesting that you say your dad maybe would be the first person to say he needs to practice more empathy, but your memory is, is being surrounded in love yeah. for, for everything. So it seems like your parents struck that balance really nicely. Do you remember yeah. the family values? Were they actually named? Um, they? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it was just, the big one was just being authentic yeah. too. Like, you know, we, we were all, we, we could, we could, we we knew each other so well that you could tell when something was bothering one person or another. Um, and my early childhood was like, you you felt like a, a sense of responsibility and like that tough love mentality of like, mm. let, we're going to, this is a lesson to be learnt or, you know, it's not just, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's okay, no, it's okay, but what did you learn? What, what are you going to do differently next yeah, time? Yeah. Um, or how can you change this this current situation? So, yeah, I always felt like they loved and supported us, but there was also that that piece of reflection there where it's like, hey, you know, what'd you learn? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's take this and move forward, not not just go backwards or do the same thing again, yeah. if that makes sense. The tough love one's a real interesting one. Mm. And, and, you know, I think everyone's got different levels of yeah. what t- what constitutes yeah. tough love do you have this is this is putting you on the spot but mm-hmm. do you have an example of where you think your parents con- consciously yeah went the tough love route and yeah absolutely so i um one example when i was like 18 i went to a um a private school um and what came with that was differing levels of i suppose uh, wealth and, and money. Um, so there was like some kids when they were 18 rocking up to school with a new BMW and then there was like um, kids who were probably in my bracket where their parents worked really hard, really hard. I'm not saying the first bracket didn't work hard, mm, but, yeah. the, you know, they worked really hard to put you through private school and mm. that type of like new BMW when you turned 18 wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and an example was like when I first turned 18, they were like, you know, we're not going to buy you a car. We didn't. We didn't buy you a car. Uh, sorry, we didn't get cars bought for us. It's important that you save up and you, um, you know, you you do this yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one example. And then there was another example in your um, eleven. There was like a school trip, and they said, "Look, if you really want to go on this school trip, we're going to give it to you as a birthday present, a Christmas present, as mm-hmm. opposed to just saying, yeah, it's automatic type yeah. thing." Yeah. So they just kind of, from a tough love perspective, they explain their decision why they want why we're doing it mm. and then at the time i was like oh like, i just would love a car or yeah, i just yeah, love to go away not oh, you know it's mm. very first world things yeah. um but looking back on it it was like 
it was a good learning experience. Learning right. Yeah. So you, so again, beautiful to hear you speak so fondly about your upbringing and your parents. What are your your relationship now with them and with your siblings? Yeah. So probably when, um, so I'd classify my brother and my sister as like some of my, my best friends. Yeah. Um, You're close in age. Yeah, yeah. So so I've um, I'm the oldest, and I'm the oldest to my brother by I think 20, 20 months. Yeah. Um, and then my sister. Um, it's about three and a half years, four years. Okay. Yeah. Take. So, yeah. yeah, so we're really close. Um, and to be honest, my when I moved out of home, I was the first person to move out of home from my family. And to be honest, my my relationship probably changed with my parents and my, my brother and sister because I was living on the other side of town. And um, and so it's hard, like, trying to juggle that those old relationships when you're, you know, on this new chapter of your life. And so I feel like, there was a period there where our relationships just changed. Um, and I think, um, you know, there's, I don't know this for sure, but I've heard the saying a few times where like there's a breakup between your mum and a son, like when there's a new relationship. And so that's when I went, met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, we moved out of home together and she became the most important person in my life yeah. as opposed to my immediate family at that point. Mm. Um, and so, there was just a changing of our relationship dynamic. And I think now since having kids, my parents have become even, like come back into the, the forefront of being super close with, with us. Not saying we weren't close but through that period, but it's just, you know, they've become grandparents. They want to be more involved with my kids' lives, which is, which is awesome. Um, and that's kind of brought a new dynamic again to our relationship. Mm-hmm. And same with my brother and sister, like... I've always been close with them, always had really fun times with them. Um, you know, I mean, my brother and I got on our nerves it, <laughs> when we were younger. Um, do you guys have brothers or? I have sisters. Yeah. So. I've got an I've got an older brother, but he's eight years older than yeah. me. So we sort of, there was probably too big of a gap to yeah. um, have the old brotherly yeah. love. It's, it's funny, like a couple of my mates don't have brothers and they're always like, whenever me and my brother are there, it's like you, you talk to one another and everyone's like, whoa, 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 yeah, calm down, yeah. boys. And you're like, no, things are fine. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I didn't have a brother close in age, but I've got my eldest two boys are, yeah, 23 months difference. Yeah, cool. And I can see the absolute love and respect they have for each other, mm. even at their age, seven yeah. and five. But geez, they can fight. Yeah. And like just nasty, not only physically, but just they can be really nasty yeah. as well. But yeah. And and that's what me and my brother did. Like we were very competitive. Um, we'd be at each other on, you know, stupid things. And my old man would like, he'd relish those moments. He'd just be like, all right, boys, you know you what you, you want to fight, do you? All right, let's put the gloves on. I'll referee the mat. Like he was really, and then by the, that stage, we'd be like, nah, dad, we can't be bothered yeah. anymore. And we haven't quite got the webcam YouTube set up, but Ty's a big guy. <laughs> is, your, is your brother as big as you? Or? Oh, Nah, he's he's not as um he's not as tall as me, yeah. but um you know he's actually got a full head of hair. And so I've got a good face for podcast boys. <laughs> but yeah, it was um it was cool and like yeah, it's when you reflect on your childhood like that, you actually go, bro, this is um yeah, it's it's pretty special, yeah. pretty special. Yeah. Mm. And how did everything that you've just told us about set you up for that? for that next chapter when you did leave home with your girlfriend and, and start to to become an adult? Mm. Um, I think, you know, we, it was cool because like we still, we're really close to with like my wife's parents too mm-hmm. um, and my in-laws and um, 
it was kind of cool growing up because I started to I started we started to date when when I was eighteen and she was seventeen. So it was like school um, childhood sweethearts, and I got to see a different family dynamic at play, which was still really special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think you know when we moved in together that we had differing opinions around you know what the home life and family life looked like what responsibilities both we had to one another and the house and mm. our space and, and all that type of stuff so yeah it was cool because like we wouldn't we wouldn't when we saw my parents it would be like or her parents or my brother and sister would be like a catch up for a day or an hour or so and they'd be like all right cool see you guys we'll we'll see you later and we'll go back to our own home environment which was a blend of both her upbringing and my upbringing mm. um but yeah, I, this, they were always there when we needed them. Like when we renovated our place, like they're like, you know, come stay with us for three months, and yeah. and that was <laughs> jumping back into living with your parents after <laughs> you've been living them for a while. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. But again, both both families were always there for us. Like we we felt really lucky and really yeah. thankful for that. Yeah. 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 Not sure if I answered your question, sorry. No, no, no. I'm just kind of interested because I've heard a lot of people say um, first seven years of a, a kid's life, they're attached to the mum. Mm. Um, second seven years can can often be the dad. Third seven years, that period 14 to 21 is mates. Mm. And then if you've done a good job as a parent, they then come back as a 21-year-old um, in more of a, in a different relationship. And I think maybe that's what you were referencing in that, Maybe with with the kind of breakup as a as a mother son or a father son or even as brother sister and, and more of a kind of friendship, mm. but I guess to your point as well, that when you have kids of your own, that kind of that mother father you know bond kind of yep. almost reties itself, but in a in a grandparent role. Yeah. When you and your partner, and if I'm jumping, just fill us in. But when you and your partner decided to have kids, is that is that kind of how you felt? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, I think when we decided to have kids, and there was some, I suppose, some challenges around that too. My wife has endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a level of uncertainty if we were going to fall pregnant or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if she was going to fall pregnant. And um, so I think when we were thinking about having kids, um, that kind of was brought forward for me personally, like, like, a lot quicker than I was anticipating. Um, and I think when our family saw that we were like quite serious and we mm. wanted to like have a family of our own one day, they were extremely supportive of that. And, you know, now my mum my and my dad as well, when he can prioritise like, you know, coming down and looking after my, my eldest daughter and mm. things like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's a real, real blessing. Um, and I think when... You know, when we did decide that we wanted to start our own family, there was nothing but love and support um, for us. And, and they were there for us when we, we really needed them the mm-hmm. most, too. Um, and, you know, you just, like, you know that saying of, like, you know, if something was to happen in the middle of the night, like, can you call someone, like, mm-hmm. apart from your, your family or, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, apart from your partner or someone? Yeah. And I know I could call any number any any one of my family members both on my wife's side and my side so yeah again feel extremely fortunate mm. to be able to have that level of support yeah yeah around. so with endometriosis i don't know yeah do you know because quite often women find that out when they're 
in pregnancy? Did yep. you know before? Yeah. So so my wife um, would experience these excruciating cramps, um, like crippling um, pain and things like that. And I, I didn't know much about mm. that whole process. And then she had an operation when she was about 24, I think, um, 25, and to remove the endometriosis. And... That was kind of when the the seed was planted um, in our relationship around you know what having kids may involve and what what that may look like, mm. and the doctor essentially said, look, once you've um, we've had this operation, um, we're going to go on like a um, it's like a a drug called a marina, which kind of tricks your body into thinking that you're pregnant, so the endometriosis. Um, is, doesn't come back essentially. Okay, right. So I'm I'm no doctor, so mm. please um, mm. I'm trying to do the best I can. But and then the doc was essentially like, after this operation, and you'll be on this drug for two years. After that, it's either try and have kids, see how you go for six months, um, and if nothing happens, we need to look at what other options you might have because you may not be able to fall pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was 25, 26, yeah, 25, and I was 24. I was kind of like, far out. I don't know if I can be a father yet. Like, I, hmm. there's a lot of stuff I want to do. I'm not sure if um, yeah. you know, kids is something that I want right now. And that was probably the first kind of crossroads in our relationship where it was like, probably second actually. Like, the first one was my career and I was away a lot. And I was kind of like, hey, you know, I need someone around. That's hmm. the type of relationship I want and need. What's more important, I made a call to be with her as opposed to the work that I was doing at the time and this was probably the second major crossroad of like hey we want to have I want to have kids Mm. it's really important to me are you with me on this and I was like oh yeah wow yeah yeah I am Mm. yeah because you know I love you so Mm. um but it you know some people want to have kids at certain ages and things like that and I was yeah 27 like 20 26 Mm. 27 and I was just kind of like oh you know okay I guess we're we're doing this like um and so yeah that that was like the the first kind of thing where I understood what endometriosis was I understood like my wife's priority priorities around when she wanted to have kids and things like that she's a very maternal person I'm not probably not as maternal um and then when yeah when it came around to actually you know falling pregnant we actually like she went through this journey of Chinese medicine and all these different um, processes and, and um, tonics and you know research and yeah we we're able to to fall pregnant when um, when we started trying and that was when she was twenty eight and I was um, yeah twenty eight and I was twenty nine yeah okay mm. so yeah but I think one thing that I've learned through that process is you can't take this stuff for granted mm. like I'm mm. sure you guys know friends and. Mm family who have experienced difficulties with that um that type of thing too yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely so so the first one comes along and everything's good and and the endometriosis stayed away or if if i've got that terminology wrong please correct me but everything through that process was was positive not really so so this was kind of the so so when we when um al got pregnant with our first one francesca chess was actually a twin um, so we found out that we were gonna get, uh, we we're gonna. She was pregnant with twins, and at about the eighteen week mark, nineteen week mark, one of our twins passed away. Mm. And when that happens, 
It's called um, twin-to-twin transfusion. Um, and, and what happens is when one twin passes, the blood goes back through the placenta and it puts a shock on the other twin. So through the, our first pregnancy was quite traumatic mm-hmm. um, because Al was holding... Um, well, yeah, she was caring. Well, yeah, she was holding in her in the womb like a twin, and also a, a passed away twin as well. Mm. And so that brought on a lot of sadness, grief, things that we hadn't experienced before. And I remember the the day as if it was yesterday when we found out we were experiencing the scan, and the lady told us, and and then every time after that we we had like a scan every week because there's a high chance that the other twin won't make it because of the the blood passing back through the placenta Mm -hmm. and so we had a lot of um you know tests um echograms there was like a heart murmur that they picked up and all these things that were quite you know there was a lot of unknown um and through that process just doing the best we can again without our family support um we yeah, we would have we would have really struggled. Mm. Um, and then in April of 2020, um, just before COVID, that's when yeah we gave Al gave birth um, through a cesarean to to our first yeah child, mm. first daughter Francesca. And it was like this this weird feeling because it was like complete elation and just complete like nirvana of holding your your daughter. Mm. Um, but then also like a a real level of like grief and loss because it's like we're all meant to have two mm. of you type mm. thing and and there was identical twins too so it's hard to like look at our oldest and not picture another one just next to her as well mm. so um yeah that was that was a really hard time mm. really hard time Tice do you think um you know I've 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 had a similarish experience we've had a similarish yep. experience with with losing a with losing a pregnancy yep. um how and and look i i you know I've, I've touched on it on a on a previous podcast but i guess my question is how have you dealt with that trauma yourself yeah um i think it's a good question and i feel like i don't know deep down there's maybe still a little bit there that i'm like processing um and I, you know, prior to that, I hadn't really dealt with grief like that before. Um, or like from a, you know, I've had really fortunate, a lot of my family, extended family, been part of my life and I haven't really dealt with much grief prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my tendency is, your, for lack of a better phrase, like a typical male type thing to just keep busy, to sometimes maybe suppress that mm-hmm. um what's under the surface mm-hmm. and through yeah working with my through working with my wife um and prioritizing her i found kind of comfort in that myself so being that rock mm-hmm. um for her and but you know things like you know surfing exercise I meditate too, so like practicing mindfulness. Um, in 2020, I kept like a journal um, just to kind of get me through that that COVID piece because that mm. I suppose the the aftermath of that birthing experience also brought a lot of challenges to our relationship as well. Um, mm. And my wife went through some really dark days, mm-hmm. um, 
so I think for me personally, I had to like feel like I could control something. So if that was like doing exercise, if that was um, music is a very big part of my life. So like listening to music and finding meaning in certain songs to deal with my grief. Mm. Um, and also I found journaling really, really beneficial mm. in that year. Just mm. like, because I felt like I couldn't share my exact thoughts around what I was going through with my wife at that time because I don't think that would be supporting her mm. in what she needed. So I was like, I need to just get this out on paper mm. um, and talk to like, yeah, a couple of really close friends about that. Yeah. Um, but again, if I was probably to highlight specific ways of dealing with it, it would be the exercise piece, um, some sort of reflection like journaling. Mm. And then I was doing like some, some meditation and just Great. leaning on really close friends too. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I, I can't help to ask, but it's, it's you know, and, and Tom and I were having a conversation the other day off air, but around these kind of things, people can sometimes say clumsy stuff mm. and they don't mean it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm a believer that in people, people don't, in, often people don't intentionally give offence, yep. but often we take offence, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but people can be clumsy. Like, for example, I've got three boys. Oh, did you wish you had a girl? Mm. It's like, they're not trying to be mm. offensive, mm. but it's, it's sometimes it's, you know. Mm. Um, but when we had, so when we, it was our third pregnancy, so we already yep. had our two older boys and, and we lost the third one. Um, and we did know it was a, a girl. Not, yep. not that that was neither here, that was neither here nor there, but um, just a couple of people trying to be supportive would say stuff like, mm. oh, well, at least you've got your boys. Mm-hmm. And you know it it, it doesn't yeah, help. Yeah. It doesn't no. help. Um, I think it, I, you know maybe if it was the first pregnancy, then then you know potentially it would have been a bit harder because I mean just through distraction because mm-hmm. you've got the boys to, to worry about as well. But I imagine in your case, it's even you know it's like well you got you know you got two you had two of them and mm. now you got you're so lucky to have Francesca. Mm. But did did you find that? Did you find people? Yeah, man, really yeah. good point. Really good point. Like, and people are. Exactly. Clumsy is, I think, the perfect term. Like, they don't necessarily know your story. They don't know um, whatever complications you may have gone through. And we had similar kind of comments. And and we still get, like, there's moments, like, for example, on the weekend, like, my wife just had to take a bit of time because someone said something clumsy, Mm. not knowing our situation. And it just still kind of hits home. Mm. Um, And, you know, people were like, you know, at least least you've still got the other one and... Mm. you know you still you know she's help happy and healthy and you know focus on that and it's like thanks but yeah. you still don't like I, I truly believe like you, you don't know what someone's going through unless you've experienced it yourself mm. um and yeah. i think and even then there's layers of experience that that just can't be learnt or taught or, or felt mm-hmm. yeah well, I, th- I think it's quite rare that we make time and space as we're doing here, and this is why we find the podcast um, so impactful <laughs> just to ourselves, hopefully other people as well, but because you are creating time and space to talk about these things mm. because, Ty, you, as I said, you walk in the office, you bound in the office every morning with a big smile on your face, and, yeah, we talk about, you know, how your girls, you just got a new one, but everyone's got a story. Mm. Everyone's got a story. And, sure. um, you know, to this point, I we, I had no idea. Um about your story so it's it's great i think a great learning whether you got microphones in front of you or not just to mm. make time and space with people to 
to talk about these things if if they so wish, if they're in a position, if they're ready to do so. Um, can, can I just ask, and, mm-hmm. and please, that you don't have to answer this, but Sorry. so there were pl- two placentas because twins sometimes is one, sometimes is two, right? Yeah, so yeah. one placenta, um, and with identicals, they were in the same um, the same embryonic sac. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you feel, and again, you don't have to answer this, but do you feel as if there's a part of Francesca's twin in her that she carries that kind of energy and yeah the the life force that they had together that she now carries that do, mm. do you feel that yeah it's a really good question man I think um I like to think she does mm. and there's another family member who who that there was like a on my on my wife's side who experienced who was a who was born a twin but the other twin didn't make it um and I get a little bit of I get some comfort in in that as well, but also I think my wife went through such a transformation from that experience and completely changed as a person in my eyes for the the better. Um, when I mean for better, as in um, I think she was given an opportunity to really become the person she wanted to become wow. through experiencing that grief. So I so our reframe is like and. Adeline, who was the other twin, the mm. twin who passed, that's Addie's gift to us. That's the way we frame it. So mm. it's like, you know, she, she wasn't, she was only with us for, for 18, 19 weeks, but her gift to us was mm. the opportunity for my wife to, to become the person that she needed and wanted to become. Wow. And we, have, have, you know, we, we also had her ashes um, and we've, we've got a rose that, um, you know, we put her ashes in and we still make it, like we still reference, you know, another sister in our, our conversations with Chess and things like that. And and we're, I think we're, we're on the same, yeah, it's a process that we're still getting through around how we explain that to Fran, Fr- 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 I'll just say Fran, Francesca and Penelope, our, our second daughter yeah. um, or third daughter. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a, th- yeah, it's a process though, because mm. you, what feels right one day may not feel right the next. Mm. So, but amazing that you include her in the narrative mm. with Chess, especially yeah. who would be starting to understand and think about those things. Brilliant that you include her in the narrative rather than waiting until a certain age and mm. then sitting her down yeah. and telling her. Yeah, um, amazing that she's growing up with it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's um so Sunny, our eldest is seven, and and we we took the same approach where we explained well because yeah. they knew they were old enough to understand that Mel was pregnant for that third pregnancy. So then when we came, and you know, uh, yeah, we walked in thinking it was gonna be a routine, um, yeah, yeah. a routine check. And within a couple of minutes, it was evident that the, you know, the baby, um, oh, but yeah, so it was, it was full on, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, and Mel and I, similar to that point, hadn't experienced real trauma. Yep. Um, and, but, but the, 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 all that to say, um, Sunny will often, then not so much who's five, but Sonny will often, maybe once every couple of weeks, will bring up the, his sister. Yeah, um, wow. And we've got the exact same thing. We've planted a rose in the front yard. Um, Mel and I, you know, both got tattoos to 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 you know to represent yep. um, to represent her. So it's a it's a really it, it's a really fascinating thing. And there's no right or wrong on I think on how people mm-hmm. grieve. And, yeah. and for some people, I think they might just move on, which is yep. completely like there is no rule book for this stuff. Mm. Um, but you know, I, 
I, that mate, that was really powerful. That sent shivers down my spine when to hear that Adeline mm. had a you know had a, that was her that was her um, blessing mm. to help your wife become who she needs to. That's um, yeah. That's thanks, amazing. Man. And everything's got to flow on, doesn't it? Mm. Everything's got to flow on. So, wow. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's, um, it's, yeah. it's funny that you say, like, um, the rose, because we're, we're getting tattoos as well to, like, resemble, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you going to get? Well. A rose. Oh, yeah. you're going to get a rose. Yeah. Beautiful. So, we're both going to get um, roses, yeah, to, to kind of symbol that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, again, it's... Um, there's no right or wrong yeah. and you've got to do what you've got to do to, yeah. to support both yourself and your partner. Yeah. Tell us about Jess. Yeah, Ty, Jess. So she's two, two and a half? Yeah, two and a half. Um, she's, oh, it's, um, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Like she's, she's cheeky. She's daredevil. She's um, hilarious too. Like I, I, I didn't know a little person could make you laugh the way <laughs> <laughs> she's making me laugh. Mm. Um, and, She's um, she's she's curious and and I think the, the coolest part too that she she just ever since Penny's come around, um, Penelope like she's just wanted to just cuddle her, kiss her, and you know she's she's just been fantastic. The occasional body slam here and there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's been it's been really cool seeing her like um, develop into that that. Sister, sister, big sister role, yeah. um, and you know, like early, earlier on with chess, like she, she was um, always, you know, um, an inquisitive kid, and still is, and, and is very, very adventurous to sometimes my um, nerves and my wife's <laughs> nerves, but um, yeah, she's she's a pretty cool kid. Yeah. yeah, and what what kind of dad are you? What kind of relationship do you have with chess? Yeah. Good question. Um, and I was thinking about this before I came on the show. I was just like, how do I even define Because I remember um, when when everything unfolded um, in the lead up to, to Chess being born, I went to one of those um, first time dad um, like meeting groups at, at the women's hospital because when we lived in, lived in Melbourne um, in Brunswick and, you know, they were like, oh, what, what do you want to be known for as a dad was one of the main questions and... I hadn't really thought about that prior, um, and to be honest, Chess was probably one of the first babies I ever held. I, I was never one to be like, "Hey, can I have a hold of the baby?" Like I just kind of sit back, watch, and <laughs> um, and so yeah, like I think one of the the main things that I, I just try and focus on is just being a, you know, I want to be the 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 playful, the curious, the almost the big kid kind of father, um, and I. I just, for a while there, I was like trying to overthink fathering moments and overthink um, my strategy, if that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah. And then someone, I think Al, actually, my wife, she just kind of just touched me on the shoulder once and just said, just do what feels right. Like, just back yourself. Because mm. she, she's extremely, like, caring, maternal. She's like a, a mother hen. Like, she just, mm. the kids just love her and she's amazing. And... And I'm like this, like I'm trying, I think for a while I was trying to emulate her almost in, in my own approach. And she just, I think, picked it up and was just like, just just back yourself. Mm. Like, you got this. It's yeah. all good. Um, and I think I've just always been, um, and something I'm going to focus on, continue to focus on as Chess gets older and Penny gets older, just being myself. Mm. Just being 
my authentic self, whether that's the best in that if that's the best in that situation, or it may not be the best, but that's okay. Like I'm a, I'm a human. I'm not yeah. perfect. So, yeah. Well, that's a big part. That's a big part of this this podcast, Tice, is just to say, like, no one's perfect. No one's completely mums, dads in any title that we hold. Right? Mm. It, there's beauty in the imperfection, but um, just to just to be talking about it and to normalizing going, actually there's part of parenthood that I really struggle with and mm. I don't actually enjoy that much yeah, and yeah. that's okay as well. Yep. And I, and yeah, I admire how this person can do that, but it's actually not me. Yeah. So I'm not going to, cause I, I, I completely agree when you aren't being congruent to who you are in any situation, let alone being a dad, it just doesn't quite feel right. Yeah. And inevitably everyone else around you feels it as well. Yeah. So I reckon that's pretty sage advice, man. Just be yourself. Yeah. Um, do you think you're a, uh, and again, this is open to interpretation, but would you say you're a strict dad? Yeah. Um, I don't think so, man. I nah. think strict is pretty, it's not necessarily in my vocabulary. Nah. I, I respect people who bend the rules a bit. Yep. Like I um, I think rules are there to, you know, as a guide. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. Not necessarily concrete. And yeah. I, I like the fact that Chess is cheeky. I like the fact that when I say, hey, what are you doing over there? Or don't do that. Like she pushes back a bit. I like that mm. um, deep down. Yeah. And I think when I was a young person, I used to follow the rules a lot. And I think it was when I, not until I met one of my best mates um, who was like, hey, you know, you don't have to do that all the time, bro. Like mm. push back a bit. And I was like, mm. oh, really? Like, he's like, yeah. Like, <laughs> and th I think through my 20s, I started to like, just push back a bit, a little bit, be a little bit more, um, curious around okay well you know why is this the case yeah. and and think more outside the the paradigm of what's like what rules are mm -hmm. and so i think i don't want to be a, a strict dad who's like you know mm. care for you this time or you know you can't do this you gotta do that blah 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 like i think i'm gonna be and well, i'm striving to be someone who's just just curious who's um you know playful who's who's fun who but has a level of like wisdom and mm. and just bring my own thoughts and feelings to the, the, the piece um al and i often joke around who's going to be like the <laughs> the good cop bad cop yeah, or yeah. situation and i think our our relationship those roles will change depending mm. on the situation um yeah the rules meant to be broken ones it was a really interesting one and fascinating and, and often you know the things about your kids that you love like cheekiness yeah. and strong-willed they do your head in when you're trying to parent them. <laughs> yeah. But I've got an interesting one that I've been doing some internal battles with recently, and it's topical because I went out for a bike ride with um, two of the boys yesterday. I never wear a helmet yeah, when yeah. I ride a bike. Yep. Um, but I expect the boys to. And actually, the boys have to. Mm. So there's the hypocrisy part of it, which is probably another conversation. But I just think about, like, we just happen to live in Australia, which is a nanny state. You go mm. to Europe and they ride bikes, or you go into Netherlands, mm. and everyone's riding a bike and no one's yep. wearing a helmet, right? Yep. So it's just a construct. It's just what the lawmakers say we have to mm. do here. The chances of me falling off a bike and actually hurting myself is just as likely I'm going to hurt myself, you know, in the gym or something. Mm. But how did, like, what, what's your, what, what are your guys' thoughts on, on that specifically around the hypocrisy part, but also... I'm just interested in what you guys think about wearing yeah. helmets when you're riding bikes. <laughs> make, either going to make me feel better or a uh, lot worse. So you, you're forgetting I founded a road safety charity. Well, we'll, 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 ha we'll have a, a conversation about this off air because oh, it could get boring and heated. Yeah. But we'll, we'll run with the concept behind okay. your point and uh, I'll let Ty say, answer that one. <laughs> Look, I think, um, I, you know, I say it to my, 
my, I say to Chess, I go, you know, if Dad's wearing a hat, you're wearing a hat type thing. Like, yeah, you know, when the sun's out or that, that's kind of my throwaway line at the moment. Um, but, you know, like I take her to the, the netball courts and she's on her scooter. I'm like, wear a helmet. And I jump on my skateboard and yeah. I'm just flying behind her without a helmet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think there's a level, for me personally, like, A, depends where you're going. Like, if we look at the bike case for a second, if you're riding on the roads, yeah. like traffic, helmet. Yeah. But if you're cruising around the back streets and yeah. things like that, I personally don't see um, a major issue. Probably... <laughs> I'll check in with the uh, the road safety uh, expert in the room, nah, nah. but I think you know each their own. I think every day you take a, a certain level of risk, and it's your decision mm. what what risk you take on. Um, other people might see that as risky behaviour. Other people may not. So mm. I'm, a, I'm a big one for leading by example. So yeah. I'd, I'd be saying you should be wearing helmets. So if you're going to enforce, aside from uh, the road safety point. If you're going to enforce it for your boys, I think you should be leading by example. Is my, yeah. my personal thought on that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Well, they, every every book, every podcast, everyone you you know that talks about parenting is they're more they they are going to follow what you do, not what you say. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I get that. I get mm-hmm. that. But even you know, like there's all levels of hypocrisy. The the, the helmet ones, you know, an example. But I think about our diets. Yeah. Like I think about how we eat in front yeah. of our kids, how we drink in front yeah. of our kids, our screen time that we have in front of our yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's hypocrisy totally everywhere. But there has to also be a level of I am an adult mm-hmm. and you are a kid. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there is an element of do as I say, mm-hmm. not as I do in mm-hmm. certain situations. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and their brains are different stages of development. To yeah. What Ours are, yeah, um, yeah. So I kind of, I definitely agree. Like the lead by example piece, mm. like because on reflection now, I'm like, yeah, far out. If I'm cruising around the netball courts without a helmet on, and I'm like, hey, Chess, put a helmet on, yeah, you might hit your head. It's like there's gonna be a point where she goes, hang on a sec, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a double standard here. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a good point. Let's let's fa- just play a game here. Yeah. Off the top of my head, let's fast forward twenty five years. Yep. Right, you're a grandpa. Yep. Sonny's got kids. Yep. Sonny's doing what you're doing right now. What would you say to Sonny? He's riding a helmet. Not he, riding he's, a bike. He's riding a bike without his helmet, and his kids are riding with helmets, and he's telling them to wear helmets, and they're kicking up saying, "Dad, I don't want to wear a helmet." <laughs> well, it's hard one to answer because that's where I'm at right now, and I'm consciously not putting on a helmet. Uh, yeah. What I the know, listeners I... need to know is that Sammy is, is one of the coolest dads at the gates. He's, oh. he, he, he skateboards. He skateboards his kids to school, well, and then just walks back cruising. And what he doesn't want to do is look stupid or mess up his hair with a helmet. Well, this, I, this is what's behind. Me. Well, look, I have to be honest. I fell off my skateboard today. It's the worst conditions to skateboard. And I'm like, oh, oh it's like a downfall. I'm, I'm skating on the footpath when it's soaking wet everything's wet stones everywhere and I fell off so probably should at least have wrist guards on at the school gate or no no it was away but there was enough people around <laughs> there's, there's nothing worse coming off a of skateboard yeah. is there and you, and you just bounce you, well you don't bounce off that concrete <sighs> hey uh, hey Tice you're in the thick of it with an eight year old, eight yeah. week old. Yeah. How's um how's it going? How's the, the I mean the inevitable question is is how's the sleep? Yeah. Look, I'm again really fortunate that my um my wife is at this point the, the predominant stay home um, carer, and so she has you know really allowed me to to be able to try and get as much sleep as I can in, in certain moments. Um, but having said that, that's like that's like six hours, <laughs> five, six hours compared to like prior to kids. I was like, oh, I'm grumpy if I haven't had my eight hours sleep. <laughs> like, 
So I, we're doing we're doing the best we can. Yeah. Um, there's moments where you just kind of look at the house, you look at the your environment, and you just go far out. Like mm. this is full on. <laughs> like we're in the trenches here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but like I've got mates who are. Some don't want to have kids. Some are on the stages of thinking about kids. Some of them are like myself who, you know, have two. Others have one. And so, and we're in our family, we're the first to have kids in our, our family. So like, um, uh, no cousins or anything at this, this particular point. And so there's like a level of trying to help people understand where you're actually at and what you can take on and what you can't take on. Um, so I think that's the part that we're finding a little bit hard at the moment is the balancing act yeah. between, you know, keeping ourselves sane, um, looking after chess too, because the penny is easy. Like she, she does nothing. She yeah. just sits there, feeds, sleeps. Um, like it's a hard on our because she has to get up in the more in the middle of the night, feed and things like that. And I try and do a few bottle feeds, but that's that's kind of easy compared to to chess. She's mm. just like a, a busy kid. She just wants to do stuff. She, you know, days like today where it's raining, um, and my wife's at home with both of them. Like that's hard. Yeah, like, yeah, real tough. Yeah, yeah where play's tough. Yeah. Have, have either of you guys? So speaking about you, you, you mentioned Al's doing her best to help mm. support mm. you to get sleep. Have either of you guys ever moved in, moved to a different bed during that stage? Yeah, so another person who works here, Vari, she said to me, she introduced this concept to me called the hotel <laughs> night. Okay. So it's where either either mum or dad or mum, mum or dad, dad, whatever the dynamic is, can say, hey, this is my hotel night. I'm going to go into the spare room and you only wake me up if it's an emergency. <laughs> oh, wow. And so Al and I have tried that a couple of times and it's been really good. Um there was one night where I was on dad duty and I was trying to settle Penny, I think, for two and a half hours, three hours, and I just was getting nowhere. And I was like... So Al had pulled the hotel card? Yeah, Al had yeah. pulled oh, the hotel card. interrupted her hotel night. And I was like... You bastard. <laughs> I'm like, this is on the borderline of emergency, I reckon. So I knocked on the door and she's like, yes? And I was like, can I Room just service. get a little bit of help here because I'm out of ideas. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was just the, the warmth and comfort of, of um, Al and Penny went to sleep like that. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. But um, yeah, like we've entertained it, but I only, I reckon, a hand, I, could, I could count on my one hand, like the amount of times I've slept in a different room yeah. to my partner. Like that's one of the things in our relationship where we just, we prioritise. Like yeah. I'd rather, yeah. if she's sick, and I like I'm, I'm not the kind of person to be like, oh, if you're, you're sick, I'm going to go sleep in the other room. I just... Mm. I love her too much to yeah. not sleep in the same bed with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you tell yeah me. I'm the same. Yeah. Probably, yeah, count on one hand the number of times. You know, the spare bed's always there if one of us needs it. But, And I must say, I, we didn't have the hotel concept. And, yeah. uh, and and I must say that Felicity took on all the nights. There was very rarely a night where I would do anything in the, in the, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We took what I think... Uh, we, when we talked about it being a, a team approach to parenting, we, we still do. Um, and yeah, my role is, um, aside from being a dad, is, is going to work, whether wherever that space is, mm. um, is kind of doing, I guess, air quotes, the Monday, Friday, down to five, um, which means that sleep is, is absolutely 
paramount for focus the next day. That's not to say it isn't paramount for her mm. um, and the, the things that, that Felicity has, has to do and had to do um, every day. But that was the approach that we went. We were really fortunate that Felicity could breastfeed um, the three girls up to a year, eight, a year old, each of them. Mm. So, you know, um, I, I would do some burping and I would do some back rubbing and mm. laying on the floor in those awkward positions, you know, killing your neck and your back to just pat or, yeah, yeah. or rub a baby to sleep now and again. But primarily, um, Felicity would take on that role. I was really strict, actually, um, four months and the baby was out of our room mm. because, again, that... that that place is sacred. That's mm. our bedroom. Mm. Well, actually, that's a, that's that's. I'm sorry to jump into it, but that's my next question. That I really came to ask you guys is is the the, the marital bed to mm. call it that, yeah. and both of your opinions on kids coming in and sleeping mm. with you in bed. And I think this could be a whole podcast topic <laughs> yeah. on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, in a in a nutshell, where are you guys at? If Francesca comes up and oh, yeah. is she out of is she in a bed yet? Yeah, so she so Chess is in her own room. She yep. she got in there in about oh, it's a bit of a blur, but <laughs> eighteen, yeah, maybe fourteen months. Wow, yeah, in, into a into a bed at fourteen months. Nah, so we oh. we have one of those um, cots that could then be converted to like a a miniature bed, and yeah. then yeah. for her um two for a second birthday we bought her a single bed yeah and it was kind of like a bit of a ceremony we were like all right you yeah. become a two-year-old yeah. rite of bed. passage yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly the walls are off yeah, yeah. so um <laughs> so yeah so she's she she's a really good sleeper i mean touch wood at the moment i think she's going through another sleep regression i'm not sure if that's possible mm-hmm. at a two and a half year old but yeah she um at the moment if anything happens to chess in the night that's my responsibility so yeah um al has penny and and then as soon as Chess wakes up, I'm a deep sleeper, so Al will give me a nudge and go, Oi, Chessie's up, and I'll go, okay, cool. So she won't come up to your room? Uh, so she depends. So if she's been um, upset or, or, or um, yeah, she's had a nightmare or something, and she can open the door and come in, she'll come in. And if she does come in, I'll grab her and pick her up and go back to her room. Yeah. Um, we only really let her come into our bed um, probably about either five thirty six onwards. Yep. So we'll have like morning cuddles and, and things yeah. like that. But to be honest, she probably doesn't there was a phase where she really liked that and now she, she wants to have a quick morning cuddle and she's she's up. She's mm. like, let's go do stuff. So yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, we try and keep our bed, yeah, like a our sacred, space. Yeah. Sacred place. A yeah. sacred space. And at the moment Penny sleeps in a cot next to the bed. Um and then there'll be you know, when I was doing a night feed, she'll do like a side feed. So she breastfeeds and, and then Penny will be like just on the edge of our bed. And then um, if we fall asleep, we fall asleep. But um, most of the time we put it back. Mm. So um, try and keep our, our bed, our, our bed. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, space. yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh, it's funny. I remember I'm trying to put my head back in. Um, so my middle one is now five and a half so yeah probably five years ago to where you're at with the second one being eight, eight weeks old and I just remember Bella coming to the hospital to meet Etty for the first time and and being like oh that's cool you know okay dad can we go to the park now and it's just for them for yeah. for you for chess life goes on yeah, and, yeah. and that's you know perhaps chess is more maternal than Bella certainly Etty I middle one was more maternal than Bella when little Maeve came along but Life goes on, mm. and when you say your man marking chess of of a night, that I actually really I enjoyed the bond with Bella 
when Etchie came along, when our second one came along, because mm. all of a sudden, you know, however amazing our, our wives are, um, you know, the love is they've got they've got a baby attached to them, mm, mm, and mm. and you know, yeah, the love is is doubled and there's certainly enough love to go around, but there's not, you know, there's not time and space and and attention as much as there was in the little one. So I think sometimes mm. uh, the elder sibling then looks to the dad and yeah. it's like, okay. Now we're on. We're on. <laughs> I can, you yeah. know, this is my time. Are you finding that with? with yeah, them? it's a really good point, man. Like I, um, I have really been able to bond a lot with Chess over probably the, probably the last six months. So like when it, I was getting to a point where she, you know, playing with Chess and, you know, doing all the fun stuff that she does was quite hard being pregnant. And then, I've kind of been able to to come in and do some extra dad stuff with her um and it's been really really nice like even those nights you know when she wakes up at 4am and i hear her go daddy daddy like (laughs) i still i'd be lying if i said it didn't warm my heart yeah like and one a friend of mine said to me like when um penny was born they were just like you know just just cherish every single moment not just with penny but with chess too because you never know when it's going to be the last Mm. of that Mm. um like an example that they shared with me was like, you know, carrying your daughter around. There's going to be a day where she just goes, nah, I don't, I don't need to carry her anymore. And then yeah. you don't know when that will be. Yeah. And so every time now in chess, I'm like, do you want to be walked or carried? She's like, carried. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pick her up and just give her a big squeeze and just try, I'm trying, just trying to be really mindful of those, mm. those moments of yeah. just going, right, this is great. Like, mm, that's know, good. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. And just to rewind a bit, Ty, if, if you don't mind yeah. me asking the decision to, or maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. a conscious decision, but after Chess and, and what happened there yeah. with Adeline, um, was it a difficult decision to have another child or, or was it? Um, I don't think so. Like we, I'm just trying to remember back, like Alan and I always knew we wanted to have more than one child. Um, it's a conversation. It's a hot topic at the moment. How many kids we want to have? <laughs> Probably another podcast episode there. But um, yeah, I like we we were really mindful that we wanted, if we could, have have two kids um, or kids close to one another because mm-hmm. we had such good relationships. Al's got a younger sister and a younger brother. There's a bigger age gap between her younger brother and her, um, so they they hard to be close for them when they were younger people they're close closer now um where i had a really good relationship with my brother and sister um when they were like throughout our childhood and we just wanted to have that kind of close age proximity where they could naturally do stuff together and not be too far apart from an age barrier because yeah that, that was just something that we really valued when we were younger and yeah my, my wife, she's got a really good, had, had a really good, has a really good relationship with her younger sister um, when they were growing up. A bit harder now just because she lives overseas with her work and, and stuff like that. But they, you can still tell when they connect, they've got that like spark that they used to have when they were kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were just really mindful of that. So I, it was kind of like a decision where we were like, far out, it's going to be hard because I feel like we've just mastered, not mastered, but like we've <laughs> just got a, a lock on the first one yeah and then now we're going to add another element to that but you know 
no regret in the decision at all. Yeah, mm. it was a more straightforward pregnancy and, and birth. Yeah, great, so, great that after the endometriosis and everything, yeah, you, you could do that. And, exactly, yeah. man. So we um, compared to everything we went through with, with Chess and Adeline, we um, it was the complete opposite with Penny. We had a um, a natural birth too, um, a VBAC, and um, that was something that Al really wanted to to try and do, which we were able to do, and no complications or anything like that like you know when chess was born we had like a um pediatrician come in and he's doing all these types of tests and everything and and we're in a different we're in the public system for chess um and there's just different elements that go on with that and then we went into the private system for um for penny and it was just a completely different experience it was like almost like a holiday like we went in and they were like yep she's all good and we're like is there any other tests they're like no She's all good. Yeah. And we were just like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was. How, um, how much of that do you think? That's an interesting point. We haven't actually spoke about um, private versus public mm, before, no, but no, no. how much of that is just because it was a more straightforward birth and labour, and how much was it because <sighs> of the the system? I don't know. Like, I think I'm probably going to say sixty forty. So sixty percent that it was a straightforward birth yeah but 40 percent too because of the structure that our hospital was able to give so they were like you know um very proactive in you know when to come in um you know the checkups the options um the level of comfort too that we we were in um and yeah it was just i think for us it was it was a big one yeah yeah wow yeah Ty, you, you've touched on um, you're in the careers game, mm. uh, and, and I just want to ask you, uh, probably a tricky one with a <laughs> two and a half year old and a right. week old, but just to put your professional hat on for a second and provide any advice to our dad focalers out there who might have older kids who are starting to think about going into the workforce. Yeah. What What's some kind of advice for the dads to to give to their kids that you would put out there when they're thinking about their own their own career paths? Yeah, so like as part of my work, I do um, like parent um, workshops and things like that with our school clients and stuff like that. And you know, the, the the number one advice I always give is just invite your young person into your career. So like, just literally say, hey, this is these are the challenges that I face. These are the good things about my work. These are the bad things. Um, you know, invite them into your own narrative and and what you chose as a young person for a pathway or a first job or whatever that and and kind of share that that story and then the second one is be an advocate so don't be don't be the driver be the advocate so you get a lot of parents who go my child is going to do x y and z or you know they're only going to this university or you know they have to go to university TAFE or an apprenticeship is not an option and I just I'm always trying to reframe it back to them and say look you know that's all good and well, but you, you, you're making decisions for your young person. You're not letting them take the take the reins of the decision. And I see it on the tail end once they've studied or once they've done a career. And it's a too common narrative of someone like being like, yeah, my parents told me I should do this. Mm-hmm. My parents um, said I needed to go to university. And it's like, wasn't necessarily the best call for them. What's advocacy look like compared to being... What, what was the word you used, sorry? Uh, an advocate. Advocate yeah. as opposed to what, though? A driver. A driver. Yeah. So what does an advocate look like? As yeah, so an advocate... So my definition of a driver is someone who's who's saying, um, you know, 
you're going to study this. I think you should do this because of this. Yeah. Um, and let's go enroll you type thing. And not really give, and not really empower the young person to make decisions. An advocate um, is someone who's curious, who is, um, you know, workshops the outcomes with their young person. So they might ask questions like, um, okay, so who do we know in those areas that you're interested in? How can we connect them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of be be an advocate for them making career decisions. Mm. So a great one of the best things any family member can do um, is understand what areas their young person is interested in and then encourage their own networks to get in contact with that young person and to kind of give them a flash in the pan of what their job looks like. And can that work both ways, whether mm. it's positive or negative? For sure. Because I, I, I'm just thinking, I, I did a bricklaying apprenticeship. Yep. And it... All you know, no disrespect to bricklayers, but I, you know, I got out of there pretty quickly, and yep. and I just I, I wasn't would, for you. It wasn't for me. Mm. Um, and look, I would probably, if my kids came to me and said I want to be a bricklayer, I'm probably in the back of my head thinking, don't be a bricklayer. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so how would you how would you be an advocate yep. whilst trying to steer them away from? Yeah, good question. So I'd probably come at the angle and go, okay, why is it that you want to become a bricklayer? Okay, cool. You know, do you know much about bricklaying? Um, And try and understand the level of knowledge that the young person has. Mm -hmm. And if they're still hell-bent on becoming a bricklayer, I would say, cool, let's get you some work experience. Let's get you some some actually experience on the tools, lugging bricks around, you know, on the job. Yeah. and let's chat after that. Yeah. And, and kind of see where they're at from there. And if they still love it and they still want to do it, then you support yeah. them. Yeah. I, I'd personally, that's the angle I'd take. Yeah. If they're still like, yep, I love this. This is why I want to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the kind of experience that my parents gave me. Like quite often my, my old man would be, feel like I'm writing a business case to him. <laughs> He'd be like, you know, why do you want to do this? Tell me, mm. tell me why it is. Like, what do you think you're going to learn? And, and so I'd try and take that approach of being yeah. like, you know, if bricklaying is really important to you, you know, where do you see yourself a couple of years from now bricklaying? Where do you see yourself five years from now bricklaying? And you need to, I think parents also need to realise that, you know, in a career you work up to 90,000 hours. Like, it's rich for us to think that you're going to do one thing for 90,000 hours. Like, mm. I'm 33 and I've already had four major career changes already. Wow. And And so it's just making sure that, the young person has the transferable skills and the self-awareness to be able to go, hey, I'm really loving this and this is the reason why, or hey, I'm really not enjoying this, this Mm. is the reason why, Mm. and how can I turn it around? And empowering them to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've noticed that you, and I don't know if this is deliberate, I think it is, Mm. you're deliberately using the language young person. Yeah. Is that, that's a thing, right? Rather than saying kid or... Yeah, I just, I think young person just resonates for me more. Um, and uh, yeah, I, like I'd probably call kids like my own kids. Yeah. Um, or yeah, I just think young person is a little bit more universal. Yeah. yeah. Well, when do you start working with young people? What, what age? Yeah, so I, my business probably focuses more on like from, from 14, 15 to, yeah. to 25. Yeah, yeah okay. And it is your own business, isn't it? Yeah. Ar- arrive. Arrive and thrive. Arrive and thrive. Yeah. yeah. So we work with with schools and tertiary institutes and um, also like um, individual clients too, like making career transitions and career management and um, yeah, run like education workshops for, for parents and students really. Mm. And how do you, running your own business is all encompassing. Mm. How do you find 
balancing family life, yeah. fatherhood with running your own business. You've always already touched on the relationship with Elle and, and that conversation yeah. around traveling. How do you find it now you're a, you're a dad to young kids? Um, it's really good because it's given me more of a perspective on how hard it is to parent. Um, and I used to think like back when I didn't have kids, like I'd, I'd talk to parents and they'd have these concerns. I'm like, why do you have those concerns? Like, just chill out type thing. <laughs> and then having kids myself, I'm like, far out. These are actually like, it's legit. Like mm. I would have the same concerns. Um, and I, I think, you know, going, running your own show and you boys both run your own show, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's, it, it has its challenges and it has its its pros and cons um, and especially with with raising a family um, and I think one of the things that I, I learned from my own parents was like the, the value of freedom of choice so being able to go yep I'm gonna work now or I'm not gonna work now like I think that's one of the, my core values that allows me to to pick up the reins on parenting if I need to but also to go you know now's a moment I need to buckle down and work. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, I think I've gone a bit off topic there, bro. No, no, the no, 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 just that balance of, of, of yeah. your own business. And it's just... Time management. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I was talking to you briefly this morning, Tommy, um, you know, about what productivity is <laughs> like. And I used to, you know, prior to having kids, I was like, you know, I've got to exercise, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to get my eight hours sleep, I've got to work my 10 hours or whatever it is. And it was very one dimensional. And then now looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that advice just doesn't work for parents. Like you just can't guarantee your eight hours sleep. You can't guarantee that you're gonna always get to the gym yeah. and just stuff comes up. Yeah. Like I was like the guy um, in my office, Kyle, like this morning, he, he literally came in for 10 minutes, checked a couple of emails, got a call from his wife saying, hey, I'm gonna, I have to go to a funeral. I, I need you to come and look after our son. Mm. He's he's not well, and he's like, oh, that's what I got to do. Yeah. Like, and I think that's the that's the beauty of working for yourself is that you get that flexibility. Not all workplaces offer offer that, um, but also like, you know, being able to you know be there when on those milestones that you really want to be a part of. Yeah, Tice, what is your number one dad folklore tip? <laughs> Just be authentic. Yeah. Just um. Just be who you are. Like I don't encourage. Like be open with your young person, with your kid or um, young person about you know your strengths and your own flaws too. Like mm. no one's perfect. There's going to be things that you know. There's moments where I don't know what, what I'm doing um, in work or in parenting or in stages of your life, and just just be open and honest about mm. that. Because mm. if we if we try and pretend, it's it causes more harm than good. Mm. I think. Awesome. That's a beautiful, beautiful tip, Ty. And I really love what you've said. I love what you said about Elle kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, trust your gut on this mm. one because I'm a big believer that um, we're, we're put on this planet to procreate and, mm. and, you know, to trust your gut in that, to really trust your instinct. And um, I can only imagine that your girls um, or, and or any future kids that you, you have will be, <laughs> will, be, uh, will be sat there in, in um, 20, 30 years saying some of the beautiful things that you said about your upbringing um, you know, albeit I'm sure it'll be a slightly different journey, but mm. it sounds like you've had a, a had a wonderful upbringing, and you're giving your girls um, the same opportunities and the same feeling of love. Mm. Um, so, thanks so much for your time, Ty. Oh, pleasure, really, guys. really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks, boys. Really, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Ty.
Cheers. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Like, share, subscribe, and all that rad dad stuff. Remember, we're all just dads doing our best. No pressures, no guilt, just a lot of love and talk. If you're struggling with anything, reach out to someone. A problem shared is a problem halved.